In this week's episode of The Deadliest Files, we interview Michael O'Loughlin about his apprehension of joining Sydney, but then getting to play alongside Adam Goods. Michael O'Loughlin, welcome. We're having an interview with each of the 16 players who uh, were voted the deadliest by the AFL community, brother. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. It's a pleasure. Obviously, you're you're an Indigenous fella. Who's your mob and where are you from? Mate, I'm a blackfella from South Australia. My mob are Narunga, Nuttingeri and Nagana mob and, and obviously grew up in Adelaide City, but get back to our communities, my mother's side in particular. Uh, for everyone down at Point Pierce, hello, who were watching uh, Yokai. They love the show. But um, importantly, obviously, my, my father's side, Nuttingerry mob uh, down in the Lake Coorong there, and it's a very important part of uh, my makeup, I guess. Did you always have a strong connection with your culture? Because everyone's on a different journey. Obviously, yours is going to be unique as well. Yeah, uh, look, it was drummed into me really, really early. We would go back for every school holiday or, or Christmas break that we got. We went back to Point Pierce and um, our family. We've got a shack there just outside the community. And, and obviously, all of my uncles and aunties and, and cousins all lived on the community and um, riding motorbikes, fishing, swimming, jumping off the jetty. It was just brilliant. Uh, it's something that I'm, I'm actually a little bit sad that my my own kids here in Sydney don't get to experience that, that as much. Um, but we try to get back to Adelaide as often as we can and, and try to introduce them to all their, all their mob over there. So I was just going to ask that. Obviously, uh, your kids have had such a different upbringing to yours and I know how important home is to you and not forgetting, I guess, your roots. Is that something that you really try to drum into them about, you know, this is where we're from, this is who we are, this is where we fit? Yeah, I think I can get a little bit slack on it sometimes with work and, and the kids are at school and, and they're obviously playing sport away from school. So it is something that I, it concerns me a little bit in terms of am I doing enough? Um, but my mum, she ran a tight ship as a kid when I was a kid, so she's always constantly ringing up and talking to the kids. And um, so, yeah, it is something that we're, we're educating them, them about, but nothing beats actually putting your feet in the dirt and getting back home and um, and obviously getting back on the country. Um, so take us back to when, to when you were a kid running around having a kick at the footy. What did... What did playing footy mean to you? And I guess when you were a young fella, I mean, I looked up to you when I was a young fella. Who were the guys who you were looking up to running around in the backyard pretending to be? Oh, look, very lucky in South Australia. All my cousins plays, my, my friends, my uncles, the netball and football carnivals that you, you went to every year, it was just drummed into you. And, and I was lucky enough that I had a little bit of ability and had some really great role models as well growing up. But I... I remember watching my uncle Wilbur Wilson, who was a, a legend at the Central Districts Footy Club, watching him play. Gav Wanganin's from the same um, neighbourhood as myself and, and we went through the same teams. So watching Gav, Gilbert McAdam was another one who was the first Indigenous player to win a McGarry medal, which is the equivalent to Brownlow. Four Centrals, wasn't it? And he was just unbelievable. These were the guys that I looked up to and um, I wanted to play locally. I never thought about the VFL back in those days and, and obviously now the AFL. So... Um, all I wanted to do was play local, top-level football in South Australia. You just wanting to play, you know, SANFL, local, like play for Central Districts, you you achieved that playing there for Centrals. 
When did you think you were going to be able to, you know, take that next step and go up to, I guess, you know, the national comp? To tell you the truth, I never had an idea about the draft and how it worked and and how the the AFL picked their players. I had no concept of it. And it wasn't until I got to that 16, 17 years of age where I've shown a little bit of ability and strung some good games together that there was rumours and conversations happening behind the scenes saying, oh, Mick, there's certain AFL clubs looking at you. And I didn't believe it, to tell you the truth, Um, because I never thought I would be good enough to play at that level. So then when they came around to visit to you, it all sort of hits home. They go, okay, wow, these guys have actually been watching me since I was 15 years of age and they reckon I've got something. Self-doubt was always there, but it wasn't until uh, they actually sat down, met mum and had a cup of tea and spoke to me about my hopes and dreams and uh, if they had chosen me, would I go and play in these particular states? So that's when I sort of having that little bit of, oh, wow, this would be amazing to be able to accomplish. And I was fortunate I played um, at Salisbury North Football Club where I learned all my football education. And I spent probably one year, year and a half at Central Districts in and out of the side. And, uh, and then I left as a 17-year-old to come to Sydney. And that was just a huge step. And I had no concept of the world and how the other side of works and all I knew was Adelaide and our community and the mob around me. So <laughs> quite a culture shock and it was just a, an amazing journey. Everyone knows you as someone who loves ripping a yarn and you know likes to tell a few jokes, but I imagine young Michael O'Loughlin might not have quite had, I guess, the same confidence in himself to speak up as much. Am I, am I right in saying that? Y- yeah, I think so. I mean, at school, I was always pretty confident because you know, sport brings you together and it separates your, uh, not anxiety is probably the, the, the wrong word, but your confidence level goes up because you can actually catch kick and, and do whatever. And it brings everyone, oh, wow, Mick's really good at that. So at school, I was quite okay at class. I had a great group of friends. But then when the, the recruiters, and we didn't have too many visitors come to our house for a cup of tea, apart from mob. <laughs> And when they, they came around, like, we're frantically trying to clean the place. I'm the, the, uh, the eldest of six, so you can imagine kids running everywhere, <laughs> uncles and aunties dropping over. They've heard the rumour that the, the swans are going to pop around for a cup of tea. <laughs> and I'm sitting here just embarrassed. They asked some questions. They got a feel for my mum, who's just a, a, an unbelievable role model for me, and she asked some questions. And, again, this concept of moving away from home and contracts and managers was foreign to us. Like they said, have you got a manager? I'm like, what, what is a manager? And um, so all these things that we were using, my mum and I were using our street smarts and just sort of nodding along with the guys saying, oh, yeah, we understand that. We're looking at us, each other, like the black fellas do going, Side oh, <laughs> what this fellas talking about? Um we're getting along through the meeting pretty well and I was fortunate that I had Carlton Footy Club, uh, Melbourne came, Brisbane Bears at that stage so, and the Swans. So I was lucky enough to have that first one and went, okay, these are how these meetings are. And you know what Blackfall is like. We, we're, we're cluey. We, we catch on <laughs> straight away and the rest of the meetings, the other meetings were really great as well. And But, you know, as you said, you're sitting down trying to have a conversation and younger brothers running around Someone's kicking a footy and has hit a wall and, oh, man. They're taking notes. It was, <laughs> <laughs> but they were, they were all lovely. They were brilliant. When they left, you can imagine my mum and myself talking about my brothers, my siblings, going, hey, you fellas, come on. These fellas are coming here for a cup of tea and a chat. You fellas run the muck. So <laughs> um, I, I look back on it now and I just laugh, but it was just, it was so, 
as a 17-year-old, I was just cringing. Let's fast forward. You've just got to Sydney. I've heard you talk about this before. You hated it when you first got there. Absolutely <laughs> hated it. I think your mum basically gave you an ultimatum to stay up there. <laughs> Wasn't there something not in the home anymore? <laughs> My mum, as I said, she's the pillar of our family and she works in education and if someone needed a bed or a feed, she'd just look after them and all of my cousins have stayed there at some point. And it was just the opportunity to go to Sydney. Name had been read out. I was devastated. I, I hated the Swans. I didn't want to play for them. They were on the bottom of the ladder. And, and I said, I was a Carlton fan. So um, I wanted to play for the Blues. And when my name got read out, I, I was in tears. She said, don't worry, at least you'll get a game. <laughs> and um, it was one of those things where she couldn't pack my bags fast enough and I found myself in Sydney literally a week or two after that. It was so quick. I remember ringing home every day. I want to come home. And she knew. She goes, mate, you're going to thank me for this, but you're not coming back home. Stay there. Just work it out and and, and get along and meet people and train really hard and just see what happens. And I said, no, I'm coming home. And she said, well, you can't come home. Your bed's gone. I've given it away to one of your cousins. So the for you to sleep and it was like wow um okay uh looks like i'm gonna have to stay put in sydney but best advice and the best decision that she ever made (laughs) (laughs) so you're at sydney you're homesick you start playing senior footy when did you start realizing that you were probably going to be you know good enough to to play senior footy and play at the level and then take it to the next level where, you know, you became a star in your own right. Can you talk us through, I guess, your AFL journey and and how, I guess, your mindset would have changed over over the course of your career? The one thing I, I hadn't had back home in Adelaide was someone actually telling me that I was actually pretty good at some certain things like running or kicking or whatever, kicking golf. It was always yelled at. <laughs> so, and it's the, the philosophy of the coaches, right, back in those old days where they were really hard and staunch and it wasn't until I got to Sydney that Ron Barassi's, Damien Drums, Dennis Carroll's, those types of guys who were my first coaches actually said, hey, mate, you're really good at this. Continue to do this and let's keep working at it. They gave me some challenges. I promised them that I'll work really, really hard to, to work on my deficiencies and my weaknesses. I did that. They stuck with me and they gave me opportunities to play senior footy really early on. So I was forever grateful. And I'm a type of person where if you set some goals, I love working towards those goals. And I wasn't and I'm really good at not getting distracted. So that was a really great thing for me to be in Sydney with those types of guys. And I had some really great role models, Paul Kelly, Mark Bays, Derek Kickett was there, who was who was fantastic for me, uh, Tony Lockett and and Paul Roots. So really great people around me. I was going to ask um, about the importance of you first getting there and you're a black kid, lefty's black community, you go to the biggest city in Australia and the importance of you having Kikiti there to, I guess, you know, look after you and mentor you. And then I suppose him doing that to you, did that then, I guess, awaken in you the realisation of how important that is when the young kids came through after you? Yeah, look, I walked in the door and I remember Derek sitting on the bench and um, some of the seat in the, in the change room and he said, I know you, I know you. And I'm like, gave him the story and he goes, oh, that's right. And he actually lived up the road for me when he was playing at Centrals and my brother and I used to go up there and ask him for a kick of the footy every now and then um, as 12, 13-year-olds and got to Sydney. He was there. He almost, I guess, bounced for me. He introduced me and just asked if I was okay. And those little things really did help and I'll never, I'll forever be 
grateful for Derek for doing that. And we had a great bunch of young guys who were also drafted as well. So we all got along. Everyone was from interstate, from different states and territories at Sydney at that point. So we had no friends. We had no high school people. We had no relatives. So everyone had to get along and become friends instantly and teammates. So that was really good. But as I mentioned before, those early days were tough, but Derek was certainly a, a, a rock for me to be able to lean on. The next part to that was as you elevated your career and started realising that you were becoming a leader at the footy club or even, you know, just in that kind of middle tier and then younger Indigenous players coming through, was that something that obviously Mob naturally do it anyway, but was that something that you really, I guess, focused on as a way to help those younger guys as you got help? Yeah, absolutely. I think we do that. It's in our DNA. We look after our elders and we look after our young people. Certainly Derek instilled that again in me and how important that is in footy clubs. So when Goodsey, Troy Cook, Robbie R. Matt, Fred Campbell, Dwayne Simpson, these types of players got to Sydney, it was just a natural progression and we were able to do that really well. Our humour is our strength as well, like uh, taking the piss out of each other. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I might, might have been that sort of that senior player, but they were always, they were great at also challenging me. Those were really great times. We had a ball and we, we've had some success up here with our Indigenous players coming here. I think the culture says a lot about that. And certainly for Adam and myself in particular, I think being able to play a big part in that culture, yeah, putting it together and then also driving it was the key to that. I wanted to ask you about your 300 games. So obviously you play 300, you're the first blood to play 300 games. Probably not something in the moment you would have thought too much about, but as you reflect on your career and there's and there's more and more daylight between you playing and now, what do moments like that mean to you? Oh, look, they're very, very special. I think more so it's a tribute. And you know what Black Bottles are like? It's about our family, our mother and our grandmother and grandfather. The sacrifices and the help that I got along that journey, this was just, I guess, a, a thank you to say to them, really. To become the first South Melbourne Swans player to do it was huge. I got there at 17. I'd never thought I'd play 300 games I thought I'd be there for maybe a year or two, then back in Adelaide playing local footy. And to stick around and have some challenges where you ask questions, everyone does it. And it's about that mental strength to be able to push through that. I'm really proud of that, playing with injuries where you have to do all the training yourself. And I had some really great coaches. Paul Ruse in particular was great with that. Rodney E really showed me what a professional was all about. And in the back of my, my mind was always... I'm playing for my community. I'm playing for my mother and my father, my, my grandparents, my family back home. They're watching. They're waiting. They want me to be successful. So my end of the bargain was I could always play footy, but the challenges were having the fitness, the discipline, no late nights and the extra work you need to do to stay at that elite level. And then to be able to do that, I'm really proud of that personally, but it was more a thank you to the, the, the people that got me to where I was. So 300 games is, when I look back on it, it was like, wow, that was just a long time in the system. My son was like, he now, he's, what is it, he's 12, and he, he's like, Dad, you played 300 games? What? <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite interesting. He sees little snippets on, you know, Fox footy past games. And he, he'll yell out, Dad, you're on telly. And I sort of walk in the room with my chest out thinking I'm deadly. And then I go, I'm wearing one. He goes, no, you just dropped the mark. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, or I missed a goal or I made a mistake and he'll miss the tackle and, and he'll rewind it and show me. I go, oh, thanks, mate. No worries. But nothing like kids to bring you back down. <laughs> oh, dear. 
So you spoke about your challenges there. I think anyone who has a long career in, in AFL knows that it's bloody tough. Every year they're drafting people to replace you, basically. And um, what would probably the biggest challenge for you and, and perhaps the darkest time in football? And then, you know, how you got through that and who helped you through that? Oh, I think our culture and our players in particular, the coach at that particular time, Paul Ruse, we'd had some success. We hadn't won the premiership yet, but we, you can see something happening. I got injured. My knee was really, really bad and started having soft tissue injuries a lot. So there was challenges about looking after the body better and being that absolute professional from watching what you eat to what you drink and early nights. So it was. I'm really good at focusing on something and then and the goal is this, but I've, the steps along the journey and the process is really important. I'm really good at blocking the outside distractions and um, just getting on with the job. And I learned that off my mum, I reckon, and my grandmother more than anyone. And that really helped me in my journey in those tough periods where you're doing all the training yourself. And I was training a whole pre-season, not running, doing any work with any of the team. Down in the dungeon there. <laughs> Down in the dungeon at the Swans, which you, which you know, it was really bloody tough. I knew the end result. If I do this, I eat well, I do this, I do my swimming, I do my bike riding, I do my boxing, I do all these things. It all adds up in, in about, I can't see the result right now, but in three months' time when we start to play the games, I'll be in good enough nick to be able to, to contribute to the team. And I was lucky enough to be able to do that. But make no mistake, those hard, really difficult times and hard times I, I loved it in the end because it was a challenge of the of that and also then being able to go out and, and, and play under duress and, and with injuries is something I'm really, really proud with. For me, your highlight's got to be 2005 Premiership. What did that mean? Because I, I was a Swans fan. I was a Swans nuffy. But I was at I was at Pluggers 1300. I was at all of those prelims that we lost to the Lions. <laughs> I was at those games. So you obviously being there, you, you've just spoken about the trials and tribulations of climbing that final summit. What does that mean to you with all the work that went into it? Oh, man. We got close in 96 as a 19-year-old. I actually thought we'd be back there the next year and a year after and a year after and a year. We didn't get back there for 10 years or so. It's so bloody hard to win a premiership. <laughs> and guys who have won, you know, the Chris Johnsons of the world and Daryl White. Yeah, and, those freaks. And these guys <laughs> unbelievable. Grand final after grand final. But to win one, it, it's so hard to do. And Here it is! Martin, Michael O'Loughlin. Some key ball in the last quarter there. See, didn't he look dangerous at mm, times today, yeah. you know? For our football club, if you think about the South Melbourne Swans, we've had the most Brownlow medalists in the history of the BFL, AFL. We've had the best players, but we've we've only won five premierships. Yeah. So that tells you a lot about how difficult they are to win. Great players can't transition into a, a great team to, to win a premiership. And so to be a part of that and the first one in Sydney and after 70-odd years doesn't get much better to be able to, to contribute a little bit to that and the culture so that we can sustain success after I'm gone and... It's like you know, when we're back in country, you know, you, you leave the place better than what you found it. You look after it, yeah. it will look after you. And that's how I feel about the, the Swans Footy Club. It's really hard to think about questions that I want to ask you without thinking about Goodsy as well. And I've yeah. actually, <laughs> it got me to thinking, you know, pretty much every interview you would do, he would come up, no doubt. Like, this is just a thought I had when I was jotting down some questions. Do you think if you had the exact same career at a different club, 
even though you know you guys are related and you guys are so close, do you think your your careers are inextricably linked and you can't mention one without the other? And like at times, is it like, well, hang on, so I'm the first blood to 300. You know, like, like I've done all of this. Like, like, do you ever fleetingly think like that? Nah, look, you know, we're in each other's shadows. I'm in his shadow more than anything. Don't tell him that. <laughs> I watched this kid grow from a 17 year old no idea what he was doing to the player we all know and the person we all know today. And Michael O'Loughlin with game 261 today breaks the all-time games record. And Adam Goods, who's played 200 of a possible 203 games. It's been a sensational career for Adam Goods as well. It's hard to separate us, I agree. <laughs> but we've been through every. Every personal detail you can think of, we've been through together. Our lives, our like you know, there, he was at my wedding, I was at his wedding. It's just, <laughs> it's crazy, and it's hard to think about how it panned out if he had been drafted to Collingwood, who we followed. Yeah, like yeah, and would we have been as close? I'm related to Trav Varco, and you know, my brother played at the Crows as well for a little bit. Got little nephews playing Tyson Stingles at the Crows, and, and we've got mob everywhere. Yeah. And we'll always catch up and we'll always talk. Good is that I think he's popping around to my house to say good day to the kids who are doing some online schooling school as we speak. So it's like Goodsy thinks of himself as an academic, so he might pop <laughs> he's going to pop around and say good day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard, mate, but what a career that guy's had. And as I said, from that his first foot in the, in the Swans club rooms and he just gravitated over. And he hadn't left my side since. What a player, what a person. And just, we're, we're very, very lucky that we got him at Sydney. I remember reading somewhere that as soon as he got drafted, did your mum call you and tell you to call him because you two are related? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the story is that, as you do, I'd been playing for three or four years, I think, at Sydney, and you always watch the draft to see who your club drafts. Yeah. And I hadn't heard about Adam at all until his name got read out and my mum goes, oh, that's our mob. And I'm sitting there going, oh, come on, mum. You think we're all, all blackfellas related? <laughs> and, and she goes, no, no. Oh, here's his, here's his mother's Lisa Sandry and you need to give him a call. And I'm like, what? So I got the, I got the number, called him up and I said, hey, Goodsy, how are you? And it's Mickey O'Loughlin here. And he goes, yeah, Mickey O. And Goodsy, before I could say anything, said, hey, we're related. And I went, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just ring you to say congratulations. I can't wait to see you in Sydney, but and getting to know you. He was full of excitement and enthusiasm. His name's just been read out. I played for four years there and, you know, you can just understand why he was so excited. Yeah. And then when we got to Sydney, man, it was just, it was one of those things. I asked that because that moment where you called him meant so much to him because he used to do that to all the brother boys who, who ended up going up there. And I remember even before my trade had officially gone through, once it had been kind of agreed in principle, he was the first person on the phone, gave me a call, had a big chat told me to come straight over and I guess that's the kind of person and he's become, but I'm sure he's always been like that. But it's what I'm trying to say is you can just see the direct lineage of of how it happens and, you know, how guys kind of pass the torch a little bit. It's really good. He's a quality person, just great at relationships and, yeah, he's very switched on, Adam, very switched on. So you mentioned the Go Foundation earlier. You and Goodsy started that. Why did you both start it and... How much time are you able to actually put into it and what's the end goal with the Go Foundation? Look, the foundation is, is going to be our legacy, not our football. Football was unbelievable and it was, that was a great road and it, it looked after my family and our communities. 
we're being able to do things that we would never, my wildest dream as a 15, 16, 17-year-old, even dream of doing, helping family and, and, and opening doors. But the foundation itself is a small part of what we experienced as young people. And it wasn't until we got focused on education, we thought that was really a priority and we uh, were able to do the Go Foundation. We run it out of the Swans who have been unbelievable supporters from day one and then we've got our CEO and our, our working, our staff who are just doing an incredible job and uh, I think we have roughly, we've got a meeting uh, next week, actually. I think there's about 230, 40 kids in, in the program at the moment. That's amazing. That we help, you know, with scholarships to put, uh, to make their, I guess, their their life a little, their mothers and fathers' lives a little bit more comfortable to help them put through their kids through school. Let's go back to footy for a little bit. In terms of the way you see the game now and Indigenous kids coming through, what do you think some of the biggest challenges for them are now? Yeah, I think the old days was about the homesickness. I genuinely believe now the, the kids are a lot smarter. They're, they're more informed of what's required at AFL level. So every game is now analysed. doesn't matter if you're playing local league, country, footy. You can get your hands on some footage of a particular player that you're looking at. So that's a real big a challenge the social media side obviously is another one where you're trying to live up to other people's expectations and the comments that come through whereas back in the day you just played and you you're trying to emulate your favorite player on that particular day so that's the challenges professionalism i think they're a lot more professional than what i was and what adam was but ultimately it's the same challenges yeah it's can you let go of the outside distractions or block that away to fulfil your dream, your childhood dream of playing elite football, and then can you form a career out of that? Can you say stay disciplined enough? Yeah, that's a great answer, and I think you're right. The hardest thing is actually being able to do it consistently and putting together a body of work because pretty much everyone who gets drafted has the level in them. It's just about, all right, week after week after week, can I play that trademark game? That's hard. You know, it's hard to be that disciplined. I had my mum come and stay with me for a week and she said I was the most boring person she's ever met <laughs> <laughs> because my routine was Monday was this, Tuesday was this, Wednesday was this, Thursday. Oh, well, what am I going to do? Well, I'll, I'll be home soon, mum. And during the day, extra swimming, extra riding, whatever it might be. She was like, oh, my God. Fast forward a year or two, she came and stayed and she was like, no, nah, just fly me in for the game and I'll fly home that <laughs> night. You're boring. <laughs> uh, of the current crop of uh, Indigenous players, who are your favourites to watch? Oh, man, there's so many of them. Obviously, Bud, I get to see him every week at Sydney and I just think he's going to be probably, him and Adam are the, are the two best with Andy McLeod and Gav Wanganine I've ever seen from a top four. But I love watching Michael Walters play. You know, I just think he's so classy and smooth and his decision-making is just incredible. Uh, Cyril, when he was up and running, was was just an excitement machine. Sean Birdline, the list goes on. Like, the list certainly goes on. We've all got different attributes, right? So I love watching bits and pieces of every single one of them. Pretty funny. You've just done the answer I reckon every blackfella does when they're asked to choose their favourite blackfella because you feel you feel bad <laughs> if, you, if, if you say one and not the other. When I was kicking the footy in the backyard and, you know, like you start commentating yourself, I had to give both you both you and Goodsy the same amount of goals or else I felt bad. <laughs> like, what an idiot. You don't know that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but um, the guys I mentioned, I, I just think those guys I mentioned, they, they were just so classy. And I know I'm missing... So many others there. You're not running for office, all right? It's okay. You're allowed to have an opinion here. 
I reckon a few people had you earmarked as being the first Indigenous coach, and you were definitely on the path. Was that something that you saw was going to be a natural career path for you after footy? I know obviously now your business and your foundation and all that stuff keeps you really busy, but before that, did you think the path was coaching? thought so, yeah. Do you know what? I, I really loved it and I actually miss it. Coaching is such a great tool, especially for, the, for our younger generations when you're trying to teach them the right way to do things, the way to train, the educational part of it I loved and being that mentor, certainly something that I seriously considered and, and had offers to join AFL clubs, but I knew there was something else happening outside of football in the real world. I was lucky enough, again, the swans and the environment, the people you meet along the journey to, to start a business. I've always wanted to start a business and I'm fortunate enough to be able to do one now. And it's, it's been um, really successful and I'm in charge of, you know, close to 400 people in our business and it um, has its challenges and it's a bit different to football, but the philosophy is really the same. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you don't ask people to do things that you wouldn't do yourself. You've you got to be the first in, last to leave. I think I've made the right choice. Really, I love, I need my footy fix. My son's in the Swans Academy, so he's always offering, asking for advice. Yeah, it's something I might look into a bit later on. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think it's going to be a, an itch that you end up scratching? <laughs> I think so. At some point, I don't think it will be at that, that elite level, but I really I, I, I love getting around football clubs. and. I suppose, what do you think the biggest barriers for Indigenous coaches? It's probably the biggest blight on the game so far that, that we haven't had that figurehead yet because I know all of the Indigenous guys who play footy have got brilliant football minds. From your perspective, what do you think the biggest barriers and challenges are? I think the information about the path to success as a coach has got to be, it's got to become more um, evident in our communities and within our border community because I, I worked at the Athletics, so I sort of knew what the path was. Yeah. But my cousin coaching at local community football, he didn't think there was anything. There was no path. He didn't know about any path anyway. So I think the, the AFL have gotten a little bit better at that. Can it keep, continue to push in that direction? Yes. Chris Johnson, and I, who we all know, I think did an incredible job at the AFL trying to open more and more doors. And we need a, a voice like that can, to continue to do that. And um, Jason Misford was fantastic. Tanya Hosh was great in those roles as well. But we need to continue the educational part for our mob. And um, as you mentioned, mate, there's some really sharp, brilliant minds out there, ex-players, and some who have not even played at AFL level. They've played at the NTFL, the WAFL or SAFL or wherever it might be. Um, we must continue to shout it from the rooftops to let them know that these paths are available, like we do with our young players. If you want to become a player, you need to do these three, four, five, six seven, eight things to be successful. We need to do that with our coaches as well. Put your coach's hat back on and give yourself some advice to, I guess, the 17-year-old you who just walked in the door and maybe all those 18-year-olds who are just walking in the door of a footy club if you were going to, you know, leave them with anything. Talking to myself as a 17-year-old, I'd say certainly to let the fences come down. I was a bit wary as a, as a kid from Adelaide. It took me a while to believe the philosophy of the coaches and the other assistance and the culture of the footy club, open your heart, make friends quicker and just listen and take everything that's been thrown at me from an educational point from an AFL level, do the extra work. I had to sit, think and listen for a bit and I questioned a couple of things but 
yeah, certainly to let my defences down and, and yeah. get stuck into the weight room, do the extra work. Um, <laughs> I reckon um, even I was very lucky that I um, I was able to play senior fairly early. I reckon if I even let my defences down a bit earlier, I would have been okay. And I guess the last question before we wrap up, brother, is you've achieved so much in the game and whenever another accolade comes up, like the AFL community's voted you in the best 16 Aboriginal players ever, what does that mean to you when you hear these kind of accolades come your way? You know, a lot of those guys that have been voted in that deadliest uh, 16, I had on my wall posters of these guys and then to be alongside them, to be accepted into the Indigenous team of the century uh, as a player along with with Goodsey was uh, the highlight for both of us. So, right, all these things sort of add, add on, but some of the players that are in that that category just unbelievable. They're game changers and to be considered in that, that elite uh, mob is humbling. Um, and I spoke to Adam about this the other day and um, said he was up against Stephen Michael and and Adam was, he was sort of scratching his head. He goes, oh, I don't know if I'll get through the next round. It was close. <laughs> you know, like he holds Stephen Michael in such, in such high regard. It was just um, an interesting conversation to have with him. But as I said, it's humbling. It's great for the mob to, to, to do what they do and have a look at it. Mum and, and my family were, were really excited that I was mentioned in that same breath as some of, of her favourite players as well. So yeah, extremely proud and, and happy to be a part of that. Thanks for joining us. And brother, you know, congratulations again on being part of the deadliest. You're a champ. Oh, I appreciate it, mate. And well done. I love the show. You're doing a great job. Well done. Thanks, brother. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our feed so you don't miss any deadly stories. Don't forget to tune in to Yokai Footy at 8pm Wednesdays on NRTV and the AFL Network.